Hey, y'all. It's Rima. Hope everyone had a great New Year's. We're still on break over here, but I am back in your feed to bring you another favorite episode from our first season. It is one of the wildest stories I've ever heard. At the heart of it, it's about a lost opportunity and what it's like to put a monetary value on that. All right, here it is. When Eric Abramovitz was 18, he played in this concert that to anyone else would feel pretty insignificant. We were playing this amazing symphony by Mahler, his third symphony. Eric was a clarinet player in a university symphony. And uh, in the last movement at the great climax of this piece, I just, I was like overtaken by these like shivers and like unbelievable feelings of joy. It's just like an upward scale, but like within the context of all the instruments, it's just like dun, 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 dun. But I mean, it's just, it's huge, you know? I'm not doing it justice here. (laughs) The music completely overwhelmed him to the point where he felt like crying. Just from feeling that, I knew that music was exactly what I had to do with my life. I'm Mary Mejres, and welcome to This is Uncomfortable, a podcast from Marketplace about life and how money messes with it. This week, a crazy story about one guy's dreams and an unexpected price tag. For as long as Eric could remember, he'd been around music. His mom played in a klezmer band, and as he grew up watching them perform, he felt mesmerized by the clarinet. When he was seven, he convinced his parents to let him take lessons. By high school, he was winning awards and playing in local orchestras. And once he entered college at McGill University in Montreal, music became his entire life. Even when it came to dating, like he had this crush on a flute player. So I asked her if she wanted to join my chamber group. So was that your way of, like, flirting with her? Like, hey, want to join my... (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And to tell you the truth, I didn't even have a quintet yet. But I... I, (laughs) So once I asked her, then I had to get a quintet formed. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah, the pickup line worked. They started dating after that. Being around his music classmates all the time, there was this sense of camaraderie. They'd push each other in practice and go out together at night. But also, they were each other's competition. Just because the jobs are so scarce and we're all going to see each other at those same auditions. And uh, yeah, ultimately, we're all competing against each other. The classical music world is small and super selective, especially if the goal is to one day join a professional orchestra. Like the principal viola of the Cincinnati Symphony once told a reporter that statistically, it is probably easier to get into the NBA than to get a spot in their orchestra. But Eric had a plan. He was going to attend McGill for a couple years and then transfer to a music conservatory to help his chances. His girlfriend, Jen, the flute player, encouraged him to audition at the Colburn Conservatory of Music, this elite school in Los Angeles. She kind of helped give me a little push to apply. And she, you know, she spoke so highly about the teacher and the school. At Colburn, Eric would have the opportunity to study with one of his idols, 
a guy named Yehuda Gilad. He's one of the most sought-after clarinet teachers in the world. In recent years, about 80% of the clarinet positions in North American orchestras were filled by this guy's students. What were the chances of you getting in? The year that I went to audition, uh, one spot was open. Wow. So I was, I was gunning for that. I really believed that it would be a turning point in my life should I get in. In the months leading up to the auditions, Eric essentially locked himself into a practice room every night, obsessively going over the same songs and scales for hours. It was so much in my head that I was having dreams about it and having dreams of, you know, going to the audition and not knowing what to play and, all, you know, all these terrible dreams, but also a few good dreams that I got in and stuff like that. So it was, it was really consuming my, my headspace. And the stakes felt especially high because he didn't have the money to pay for a prestigious master's program. Finishing his undergrad at Colburn would fast-track him into the professional world, and it'd basically be free. Every Colburn conservatory student receives a scholarship that covers tuition and housing. In the winter of 2013, Eric flew from Montreal to L.A. for the audition. Months of practice came down to just 15 minutes of playing. His mom accompanied him on the piano while his girlfriend waited outside. I played my heart out, and it went pretty well, to be honest. He played a couple things, this super technical virtuosic solo and a piece by Bach. And and then then you just have to wait. Back in Montreal a few months later, Eric was walking home from the movies when he got a call from an unknown number. It was Yehuda Gilad, the professor at Colbert. I thought maybe he had good news for me, but he just, he said, you know, how's everything? Uh, Hmm. All the best and hope to see you soon. Which sounds like good news. So I was a little bit excited, but I didn't want to get too excited from that call just because, you know, maybe he calls all the candidates just to check in on them. He was cautiously optimistic. Then about a week later, walking home from class, he heard from Yehuda again, this time via email. And this time, it was not good news. It says, uh, basically, Eric, it was great to meet you. You're a wonderful musician. Unfortunately, at this time, I will not be able to take you in the studio. All the best. Hmm. Uh, that, that was basically crushing to me. I was very disappointed. As he read and reread the email, he saw the future he'd mapped out start to fall apart. The following school year was tough. He was bummed about not being at Colburn, and his relationship wasn't doing so hot. They were fighting a lot, and after a little over a year of dating, they broke up. So after the breakup, we still lived together for a little bit, (laughs) which I would not recommend. Oh, God. That sounds awful. Yes. And then meanwhile, what was going on in uh, your music life? I was studying with this teacher at McGill who you know, who's kind of putting me down and bringing my confidence down. It was just, it was a bad time for me that year. But despite all this, he keeps working on his craft. In his senior year, he decides to audition at Colburn again. He starts practicing four hours a day. I was hoping that I would show up again and they would say, okay, you know, this this guy, he, he obviously worked hard in the last couple of years and we're ready to accept him. All right, so round two. Eric gets on a plane to Los Angeles again. I think I was just as nervous, but a little bit less excited the second time around. He plays his audition. 
once again, I, I felt pretty good about it. And afterwards, the professor, Yehuda, invites Eric to his office for a little chat. So when I get in there, right away I'm, I'm met with not the happiest expression on his face. The mood feels tense. And he says to me, so what, why are you here? This is where things get weird. And uh, I said, well, yeah, I want to go here. I, I want to study with you. And he says to me, well, you know, you, you rejected me. And I'm like, well, what? You rejected me? Huh? And he's like, no, you rejected me. And I, I insisted, no, please, you, you rejected me. I, I would remember. Eric has no idea what's going on. But he doesn't push it. They leave it unresolved, exchange awkward goodbyes, and Eric heads home. For weeks, he keeps replaying the conversation in his head, thinking, okay, clearly he confused me for someone else. Maybe he's just not completely with it. But just to be sure, he gets on his computer and digs up the old email from Colburn rejecting him, and he sends it to Yehuda. So I send him this exchange, and I say, is this, this is an exchange that you had with me, correct? And he writes back saying that he's never seen that in his life and doesn't have a clue what I'm talking about. Wait, what? Yeah. It was a pretty huge reveal. I, at this point, I still didn't know, obviously, to what extent I was, you know, I was screwed over. Yehuda insisted that they sent him an acceptance letter. And to prove it, he requested the school send it to Eric. So they send it to me, and I've never seen this thing in my life. And not only do I see the acceptance, but I see my reply to them, which is from my email address. And I'm just confused as hell. And what does the reply say? The reply from my email address was something along the lines of, uh, thank you very much for the acceptance, but I must reject as I will be elsewhere next year. And uh, unfortunately, I cannot uh, get in contact with you because my phone is broken. Eric. You did not write that email. I did not write that email. So what is going through your head at this moment? Like, are you are you just confused? Are you angry? So... The first thing that's going through my head is actually joy because I'm thinking, oh, my God, I did get in. You know, like I didn't get rejected. Like it was a big win for me. And I I was going to get to the other bad feelings after that. But first, I took a bit of time to just kind of celebrate that I I got in when I when I thought that I hadn't. So Mm -hmm. that was a nice feeling. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, confronting the fact that someone did this to me and, you know, I missed out on this dream of mine. It was clear to Eric that somebody had screwed him over, but he had no idea who would go to such lengths. You know, writing a fake rejection letter, sending a phony email on his behalf, even trying to make sure the school didn't call him with this whole, sorry, my phone is broken excuse. It seemed like a very well-orchestrated plan. No pun intended. Coming up after the break, Eric tries to get to the bottom of it. It's easy to know you want to make a change in your life, but it is hard to actually do it. How to Be a Better Human from TED is a podcast for when self-help feels too daunting or maybe even unrealistic or just not for you. I'm Chris Duffy, the host of How to Be a Better Human, and trust me, I do not have it all figured out. But join me as I talk to experts about actually attainable ways we can try to improve our lives, whether it's facing fears, setting boundaries, cleaning your house without feeling like a failure, or all sorts of other topics. 
Find How to Be a Better Human wherever you get your podcasts. It's easy to know you want to make a change in your life, but it is hard to actually do it. How to Be a Better Human from TED is a podcast for when self-help feels too daunting or maybe even unrealistic or just not for you. I'm Chris Duffy, the host of How to Be a Better Human, and trust me, I do not have it all figured out. But join me as I talk to experts about actually attainable ways we can try to improve our lives. Whether it's facing fears, setting boundaries, cleaning your house without feeling like a failure, or all sorts of other topics. Find How to Be a Better Human wherever you get your podcasts. Last Day is a show about the moments that change us. I just don't think I will ever get used to this. I'm Stephanie Whittles-Wax, and I have had one of these moments. We all have. So let's unpack the chaos that is our human existence together. I don't believe things happen for a reason. I don't believe the universe has a plan. Each week, I sit down with a new guest to explore happy, sad stories of transformation. It's leaning far, far into the pain. That's what it is. Listen to Last Day wherever you get your podcasts. Eric had no idea who sabotaged his future. It seemed likely that it was another clarinetist, some slimy, computer-savvy musician who was vying for the same spot and wanted to make sure they got that opportunity instead. His friends, though, had another theory. People started saying, well, you know, you were living with this girlfriend, and, you know, I, I would cut them off. I'd be like, that's, that's insane. No, like, that would never happen. It was as crazy to me as, as thinking if, like, uh, if someone asked me, had my mom done it, I would have I just thought it was ridiculous. It seemed impossible that the person who flew to his audition to support him and even consoled him after the rejection would mess with his future like that and then lie about it for months. He kept thinking about it until one night he and his friend are hanging out at his apartment. And we decided tonight we're going we're gonna to crack the case. They plop onto a couch, open a laptop, and a bag of chips. We felt like detectives. Well, more like first day on the job detectives. The fake Yehuda email account that had sent the fake rejection letter was at the center of the mystery. If Eric's ex really was behind the account, he thought she'd probably use her go-to password. The problem was, he couldn't remember it. Nothing was working, and it was getting late. And then Eric remembered. Jen used to log on to Facebook from his computer all the time. To the point that I guess uh, if I would log out of Facebook, it would autofill her email and password Mm. into it. So that was still there. Using that detective brain. Okay. Yeah, exactly. They appear as little dots, but there's an easy way to have the dots revealed. Eric says back in 2014, all you had to do was check the code associated with the page. Within the code, one of the words is password uh, in quotations. If you erase that word and change it to text in quotations, it'll reveal the password. Ah, sneaky. Okay, I had no idea. So we did that, and it was that weird long password that I remembered her always using. So I I just uh, put it into the email address, uh, you know, the email password field, and it logged right in. To our amazement, we were just staring at the screen, like, with our mouths open. He couldn't believe it. Because no one had logged into the account for a while, a page popped up asking if he wanted to update the recovery information. And it showed recovery email address, which was her own email address, and recovery phone number, which was her phone number. So that was all the evidence we needed right there. He quickly took screenshots of everything and changed the password. 
so that the email account was now under his control. And then it hit him. I mean, we we were just, like, baffled at how evil this was and how evil she was. And, uh, of course, I'm, I'm putting it lightly now. It was also just confusing because he didn't understand why. Like, what motivated her to hurt him in such a real way and then still stick around to comfort him? God knows what reason, whether it was, you know, to keep me around with her or if it was jealousy or if it was just some kind of thrill that she gets out of doing crazy stuff like that. I reached out to Jen for an interview to get her side of the story, but she never responded. And Eric never got answers either. You didn't text her or call her. I did not. I feel like the first thing I would do is call them and yell at them. Believe me, I wanted to, but I I knew that it it wouldn't actually help anything. Because he had another plan in mind. This was bigger than just a little fight between a boyfriend and girlfriend. This this was, you know, this was something that is definitely illegal. Uh, I wanted to seek justice. He decided to sue. And was it ever about money for you? Like, did you feel like you wanted something out of this whole ordeal? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, through the opportunity that she took away from me, aside from, you know, everything that I could have done for my life and my career, you know, uh, the Colburn Conservatory is uh, 100% free room and board school. You know, the the tuition is valued at Mm -hmm. around like 50,000. So by not being there, I was still at McGill where I was paying tuition, where I was paying for uh, rent. And had he gone to Colburn, that probably would have led to other opportunities, well-paying opportunities. In the summer of 2016, Eric hired a lawyer, a guy named Marshall Reinhardt. Even though what Jen had done was illegal, he didn't want her arrested. He just wanted compensation. He claimed damages for deceit, invasion of his privacy, and infliction of mental suffering. Marshall says cases like Eric's, they're hard to win. If you're just going in there going, this guy or this woman hurt my feelings and I want something to compensate me for that— That becomes very difficult. He says he had to prove that Eric not only suffered an emotional cost, but a financial one. The question then becomes, how do you put a price tag on lost opportunity, on what your future could have been? You want to persuade the court that this individual would have continued on that arc and would ultimately have been extremely successful. Marshall says his job is to make a convincing case to the court, but there's no real science behind it. It's a lot of it. It's hocus pocus, unfortunately. But there are ways to ground it in numbers. Like they calculated the scholarship's worth, what he spent on additional education, and how much he lost in potential income. And then they presented that number to the court. And the judge? He was convinced. So the, the court awarded uh, $300,000. That's three hundred grand. Jen has to pay up. The judge also said she owes twenty five grand for the pain she caused Eric and another twenty five grand just as a punishment. And then finally, another twenty five to cover legal costs. So in total, it was $375,000. Canadian dollars, which in the U.S. is about 280000 it was a very validating feeling to to see that a judge and a court took this so seriously. Reading through the judgment, there's a line that stuck out to me. 
It says, big breaks, particularly in the arts, can launch a promising artist to a stratospheric career. I cannot speculate as to how high and how quickly Eric's career may have soared, but for the interference of his girlfriend. But the law does recognize that the loss of a chance is a very real and compensable loss. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> when the ruling came out, Eric's story, it went viral. Oh, you guys take a listen to this. This story is crazy. The career of a successful clarinet player in Canada, who is a very talented clarinetist, has just won a huge lawsuit. A Canadian to the college tune student of has won a lawsuit against his ex-girlfriend, who successfully plotted to derail so his career. She fooled him into thinking that he'd been turned down by his dream school. But in order to enforce the ruling, Jen needed to be served with the judgment in person. The problem was, it was really hard to track her down. She never acknowledged the lawsuit, never responded to phone calls or emails. Until one day, Marshall saw that she was going to be playing at her university Christmas concert in Toronto. So he goes and takes his wife with him so she can serve the documents in case Jaden recognized him from local TV interviews. And to be discreet, they put the papers in a holiday gift bag. And uh, at intermission, we went down, but... And, we, and I saw Jennifer on the stage, but the stage was at least, it was about four feet high. My wife could not get, climb up on top of it. So she's starting to panic because Jennifer's leaving the stage. So his wife spots a side door and runs backstage. She finds the conductor and asks if he can introduce her to Jen. So he takes her in and my wife says, this is for you for." for after the show, because we really didn't want to ruin the second half of the show. So Jen takes the bag and says, thank you. And that is how the judgment was served at intermission. When I asked Eric what it was like to get the money, his answer surprised me. I have not seen any money. Nothing. Not a penny. Jen never paid up. Eric's lawyer says it's because she can't. She apparently doesn't have any assets to seize, like a house or a car, and she claims to be a student, living week to week. If she had a job, we would be entitled to um, garnish 20% of her earnings. So they're waiting until she does get a job. And every year, Marshall will meet with her to assess just how much she has. I'm pretty dogged, so uh, I'm not planning on giving up. But it's still frustrating for Eric. This whole suit was about money. I don't know if I would have gone through all the trouble yeah. just to, to have a piece of paper that says she did a bad thing. Was there ever a point where you like almost felt bad for her? Uh, yeah, for sure. I'm sure that's got to be tough on someone when they're like an internationally viral villain. So in case you're wondering, or if it's not already obvious, Eric did not get accepted to Colburn the second round. At the time, the school thought Eric had declined the first admission, so he thinks it hurt his reputation, made him not look as serious. Instead, he did a certificate program at a university where Yehuda teaches, so he did get to study with him, but just not as closely, and it wasn't free. Then last year, he auditioned for a position with the Toronto Symphony Orchestra. He was up against about 100 people from around the world. They whittle down the candidates until they get to, uh, in my case, it was uh, down to two of us. And finally, uh, they called me into the maestro's office. And he came in and shook my hand and said, uh, congratulations. 
In another year, he'll be up for tenure at the orchestra as a 25-year-old. Eric knows he's lucky. Usually, you have to wait until someone leaves or dies before a spot in an orchestra opens up. He landed somewhere he wanted to be, even if it's delayed. But thinking back to it all, it still stings. And sometimes when something feels so incomprehensible and awful, you just want to make sense of it. You want something to latch onto. And for Eric, that's been the money. When it comes to missed opportunities or lost time, Nothing can really give you back what you lost. But I think, you know, money, it helps. It's, it's something, at least. It's, it's the closest thing to easing the wound a little bit. And the fact is, he ended up okay. More than okay. But it's still hard to not think of what could have been. I think all of us can think of moments in our lives and wonder what would have happened if we took another path or made a different decision. But in Eric's case, he was able to put an actual price tag on that lost opportunity, $280,000. And he hopes someday he'll get that money. All right, that's all for this week's episode. As always, if you have thoughts or want to share something, you can hit us up at uncomfortable at marketplace.org. This is Uncomfortable is produced by me, Rima Hreis, Haley Hirschman, and Peter Balanon-Rosen. Megan Dietry is our senior producer. Drew Jostad is our audio engineer. This episode was edited by Sarah Kramer with additional support from Jonathan Hirsch and Nancy Fergali. Tony Wagner is our digital producer. Muna Danish is our intern. Zatara Nieves is the executive director of On Demand. And Deborah Clark is the senior vice president and general manager of Marketplace. And our theme music is by Wonderly. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Sometimes you need a change of pace. That includes your finances. Get smart with your budgeting with financial tips straight from the nerds. NerdWallet's trusted experts will set future you up for success by untangling today's web of financial misinformation. Learn about smart investing strategies, tax planning pointers, and travel tips to save on a fun family getaway, maybe somewhere tropical. Spring ahead for smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app.